Hi, welcome to Calvary HSM. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. We hope you enjoy this podcast. All right, gang, as you uh, make your way to your seats, that was thrilling. That was like hotly debated. Oh, oh. Um, okay, real quick. Actually, let's do this. If I could just get like the slightest amount of house lights, I want to pull the room. Get some house lights up. Anyone? Yeah. Okay. If you think, is this me? It's me? Hi. Um, Raise of hands. Real tree. What do you think? Respect, respect, hands down. Fake tree gang, where you at? <laughs> I'm in the fake tree gang as well. I cannot deny it. I love like what a rowdy bunch the fake tree crew is. Okay, you ask what my reasoning is. Here's, here's my reasoning. Um, it's cheaper to not have to buy a new tree every year. But here's my strategy. Because the, the big criticism on the fake tree is, what about the smell? Um, first of all, that's why God invented candles. Um, but second of all, if, it's like, if you really need the real thing, here's my strategy. And I love you, real tree gang. Um, perhaps you like, have more integrity than me. But um, fake tree, real wreath, right? So you still get the real pine in your house. Uh, you can smell it. That's my strategy. That's my take. Um, but gang, uh, if you don't know me, if I haven't had the pleasure of uh, meeting you or speaking to you in any sort of like long format setting, um, delighted to be here with you. My name is Drew. I'm the associate director here at HSM. I also uh, head up our small groups. Uh, and I love HSM. I love you guys. And I love uh, this time of year. Now, the big debate at Christmas time is always uh, when does the Christmas season start? Uh, it's like, do you have to wait until after Thanksgiving or do you just kick off right after Halloween? And then there's even like some people who are like, forget Halloween, Christmas starts in September. Uh, so uh, let me ask this um, if you think that it is crucial to wait until after Thanksgiving, hands in the air. Respect, respect. A two hour long, we'd be here for a long time if you told me for two hours. I'd love to hear that sometime. Hands down. And if you think Halloween ends and it's Christmas time and Thanksgiving is a stop along the way, okay, respect, respect. <laughs> Am I causing divisions in the church tonight? That's not my intention. Uh, hands down. Um, now here, I've always been a part of the uh, wait until after Thanksgiving gang. Um, but something happened this year, guys, and I just, like, <laughs> I'm getting booed already. That's how you know you're doing well if you get booed in your first five minutes on stage. Um, but something happened, and I just couldn't resist, and so my takeaway was I'm going to just put the tree up, but then I'll put things on the tree after Thanksgiving. And so that's what I did, only Thanksgiving was a while ago now. I still haven't put anything else on the tree, so I had, like, a false start, and now I've just been lazy about it. But I want to pull you guys on a few more things before we put the lights back down so you can, like, sit and listen in peace. Um, Christmas-related. Okay, so uh, we talked about Christmas. Is it before or after Thanksgiving? The next one is this, and people get really passionate about Christmas music, right? 
Oh, um, okay. If your brand of Christmas music is like Take Me, uh, if so, I'm gonna tell you the two directions. There's kind of like the pop Christmas, like more contemporary, and then there's like the classic Christmas. So if your idea of Christmas music that's good is like bump some Mariah Carey, get some Ariana Grande or whatever, hands in the air, my pop Christmas music fans. Okay, okay, get down. And then if you're like Take Me Back to 1955, I want Bing Crosby and Nat King Cole, hands in the air. <laughs> Respect. I think the right answer is a blend of both, but I think I'm team old school. Um, okay, what about this? Um, hotly contested is eggnog, right? If you think eggnog is delicious, hands in the air. Oh, wow, guys, where, you didn't show up tonight. Hands down. If you think that eggnog is horrendous and why would you ever imbibe it, hands in the air. Okay, okay, wow, a lot of hate for the eggnog. I love it. I'm team eggnog. I think it's delicious. Is it for the people that think it's gross, is it just because the word egg is in the title? Because that is kind of like a psychological warfare against us. Eggs are, eggs are great. Um, okay, what about uh, Christmas Eve, gang? Is your family an open a one present on Christmas Eve or is it save them all for Christmas Day? So if you're open one present on Christmas Eve, hands in the air. Ooh, nice, a lot of us. That was my family, hands down. If you're saving multiple Christmas Day, hands up. Nice, okay, pretty even on that one. My, this is a total aside. My family, we were a Christmas Eve one present family and every year, me and my sister, I have an older sister, would beg our parents. We'd be like, can we open more Christmas presents on Christmas Eve? And one year my dad goes, sure. You can open all of them if you want. And we were like, what? And so we opened all of our presents on Christmas Eve, which was awesome, until Christmas morning when we had no presents to open. And it was the most bummer Christmas morning ever, and we never asked again for more than one present. That was an aside. Um, okay, the final question is this. What goes on top of your Christmas tree? There's a couple of camps on this one, right? You can go the angel or a tree topper, but what kind of tree topper? You can go the angel route. You can go the star route. Some people will do a bow. Someone in our 11 a.m. service said they put Jesus on top of the tree. I was like, is he on the cross? And she's like, no, it's like a Jesus action figure. I was like, that's awesome. So if you put, if you put an angel on top of your tree, hands in the air. Okay. Angel gang, there's a few of us, hands down. What about if your family is a star on top of the tree household? Yeah, for sure. Uh, hands down. Anybody put a bow on top of their tree? No bows. Anything unusual? Anything? What in the back? A moose? You put a moose head on, is that real? You, <laughs> she promises she puts a moose head on the tree. Ben, what do you got? You do not. Wait, like a picture of him or he comes over to your house and sits on your tree? Yes. <laughs> Got it, yes. Awesome. Um, so for me, because I haven't decorated my tree yet, it's just in my living room with nothing on it, um, I brought what goes on top of my tree and that is a star. Yeah. Star on top of the tree. Um, and here's the thing about the things that we put on top of the tree is that your eye, look, here's a tree right there. There's some all over the room. Your eye is naturally drawn to the top. So the thing you put on top of the tree is the thing that you're kind of like putting forward as the focal point of your tree. Also, we can like dim the lights again um, so that you guys don't have to be like, what's going on around me? Um, but the thing on top of your tree is like the focal point, right? Like the, the kind of piece de resistance, like the thing that your eye is naturally drawn to. And usually they have something to do um, with either what you value or like what you think is like a significant part of the Christmas story, or maybe you just really like bows. Luckily there was no bow people in the room. If you're watching online and you're a bow person, we love you, we'll pray for you. Um, but... Um, 
right? Like there's angels in the Christmas story telling the good, like announcing the birth of Christ, right? And so we put it on top of the tree. I don't remember Dwayne the Rock Johnson in the Christmas story, but I would love to read that version. That would be awesome. Um, but uh, the star is a significant part of the Christmas story, right? Like if you have any sort of a passing um, awareness of uh, Christianity, I, I know a lot of us in the room are Christians. I don't want to assume that everybody is. Uh, I know every week we have people coming here just kind of checking things out, uh, investigating Jesus for themselves, and we love that. Uh, we're about that. Uh, And so if you've heard any iteration of the Christmas story, you've probably heard tell of a star, right? Like there's all the the parts of the nativity. There's like Mary, she's pregnant. She was a virgin. That's pretty miraculous. Uh, She's on the back of a donkey. There's no room at the end, right? They they have to go into like a cave or like an animal barn, like baby Jesus is born and put in a trough, right? Like there's like the shepherds show up because the angels announce to them. There's the three kings or the three wise men who follow a star, right? Uh, And that leads them there. And so here's the thing, is a lot of times when something feels really familiar to us, we, uh, we stop examining it, yeah. right? Like when something feels really familiar, it's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. And maybe we're not asking like the probing or the challenging questions that like, if you were just hearing something for, for the first time, you'd be like, hold up, what? Um, and so here's what we're doing. Tonight, we're kicking off a three-week Christmas series as we move towards Christmas, December 25th. Um, and we're going to be looking at aspects of the Christmas story. And so tonight, what I want us to do is I want us to look at the part of the story that includes the star. Um, but I want to invite you guys to uh, approach this story with, uh, with a critical eye. Um, and with like a fresh curiosity about it, right? Like sometimes we like hear stories like, yeah, 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 I got it. There's like the wise man and the star and the whole thing. And I want to invite you guys to jump into the story with me um, and, and ask more challenging questions of the text um, because I think it'll unlock some cool stuff for us. And so before I get started, let me pray for us uh, and then we'll dive into the text. And so Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for uh, church, for this family that you built for us here. God, thank you uh, for the people that you've drawn in. Thank you for drawing us into it. Um, God, we love coming and being together. We love worshiping you. We love um, being taught by you. uh, And we just love the way that you invest in our lives and that we're invited to invest in each other's lives. Um, God, as we open this text in the book of Matthew, would you just like turn the key for us and unlock it in a fresh way? Um, Would you give us new things from it? Um, Would you help us to see your heart in it? Um, The most important thing we can do, God, is learn more about you and who you are and how you relate to us and how we relate to you. Um, And so, God, we invite you, we expect you, we want you here. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're jumping into the book of Matthew. Um, and I'm going to put the first verse of Matthew chapter two, verse one on the screen right now. Boom. That was like a magic trick, right? There it was. Um, so in Matthew chapter two, verse one, here's what it tells us. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the East came to Jerusalem. Now there's three things I want us to pause and challenge about this text right now, or examine more closely. Three things that we need to like arm ourselves with the knowledge of before we move forward in the text. So the first thing is this, this whole story is taking place after Jesus was born, right? A a common misconception is that the whole Christmas story happened all simultaneously on the night that Jesus was born. False. Everything we're going to look at happened after Jesus was born. And in fact, could have been as much as two years after he was born. Um, But here's what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, I want us to pause and look at the in Bethlehem part. Here's why. It's because Bethlehem was a pretty insignificant town. 
in the ancient world. It was kind of out of the way. It was kind of quiet. It wasn't that big. There wasn't a ton going on in Bethlehem in the nation of Israel. But there is one claim to fame that Bethlehem had prior to this story. And it's important. It's significant. And here's what it was. is that Bethlehem, hundreds of years prior to the Christmas story, was the ancestral home of a guy named David. Now, again, if you've spent any time with Christian text, with the Bible, with scriptures, you probably heard about King David, right? Like maybe you've heard of like David and Goliath. That's kind of like in the pop culture vernacular, like people, Christian or not, kind of like know like, oh, it's a David and Goliath story, right? Uh, or like David's kind of like title, right? It's like King David, colon, a man after God's heart, right? Like that's how he's remembered. There's something about David, about his heart, about his character that God looked at and he was like, that's what I'm after. That's the kind of relationship I want people to have with me. Uh, also, David was not perfect. David has a pretty serious scandal in his, in his life. He had an affair with a married woman, um, got uh, basically kind of like caught in his own uh, messed up situation. Uh, she got pregnant. He killed her husband to cover his tracks. Not a good look for King David. And yet, even acknowledging this dude is a mess, uh, God still calls him a man after his own heart because it wasn't about his behavior. It was about something in his heart, right? Um, but David, here's what you need to know about King David, is that King David was never supposed to be a king, right? Like normal succession uh, is that if your father was the king and he died and you were the firstborn, you would become king, right? Like that was like the succession of the throne, right? Uh, but not so with David. David was not from a royal family. He was from Bethlehem. Um, and Bethlehem was kind of a nowhere place. There was a previous king, Saul, who even had a son who was supposed to take the throne. But God says, no, Saul's not my guy. I'm anointing somebody else. So he sends a prophet to Bethlehem, um, to a man named Jesse. God tells him, one of, one of Jesse's boys is going to be the king. And so I'll tell you which one when he gets there. So he goes to Jesse. Jesse's like, oh, this is amazing news. Let me get all of my sons. And so he gets all of his sons, except David, who he didn't think was worth putting in front of Samuel, or in front of Saul. In front of Samuel. There we go. Didn't think he was worth it. Made him go work. He's like, no, 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 you keep working. It's more productive for you to be out in the fields than to come because it's not going to be you. You're the runt of the litter. You're the youngest. You're the last. It's not you. Right? David was a nobody from nowhere. That was his claim to fame. He was just a kid out in the fields that his dad didn't even think was worth considering. And so Samuel shows up and he moves down the line and he's like, no, 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 no. Are you sure these are all your boys? No, I've got one more. He's out in the field. He's not worth your time. Bring him. God's like, that's my guy, right? Anoints him there. Years later, he's on the throne, right? King David, a nobody from nowhere, an insignificant town to the center of the story that God's telling. Now, why is it important? Why is God choosing to put Bethlehem at the center of this story centuries later? Because God, if God's like conducting a symphony, right? Bethlehem is a note that he's playing. He's incorporating something that's supposed to remind us of something, right? He's drawing something in that's important to understanding this story, to unlock it, right? He's playing a note. Or if he's like making a recipe, right? God's putting a deliberate flavor into it to evoke something, to kind of like put something in front of us. And that flavor is nobody from nowhere drawn into the center of the story. The person who doesn't belong in this story is right at the middle of it. That's what God's doing here. And so it starts and it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? There's a, there's a hint of a kinghood in the story already. 
moving forward. It says, so it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Let's pause and let's look at King Herod. Now, here's the thing that you need to know about King Herod is that he is a real person, right? Like the, the Bible is real. It fact checks itself. You can look at historical texts around it, right? And so to be able to say it was during the time of King Herod, that's like fact check this story. Like look it up. You can tell he was like a real person. And so here's what you need to know about King Herod at the time. He was the king of the nation of Israel, king of the Jews. Uh, he was wealthy, very wealthy. He was politically gifted. He was really good at what he did. Um, he was intensely loyal to the people he was loyal to. Um, he was a like profoundly good administrator. He was really good at organizing, at planning, at building. Um, he was clever enough to re remain in the good graces of the Roman Empire, right? Like Rome was kind of like occupying Jerusalem at the time. They were sort of under Rome. And so he kind of like negotiated like a peaceful agreement of like, hey, we can kind of like coexist and make this good for each other right? Uh, he was superb at building projects, including building the temple. It began around 20 BC, right? Like that you can check history books. Herod is the guy. The Roman emperor was going on right there. He did all these things. Uh, it says he was admired even by his enemies. So people were like, this guy Herod is good at what he does. He is a very successful king. But it wasn't all sunshine and roses with Herod. He loved power. Like, Documented in the history books, the dude was power hungry. Uh, also, uh, he inflicted absurdly heavy taxes on the people. He was greedy. So he taxed the people backwards and forwards till Sunday. Uh, it says that he resented the fact that many of the Jewish people considered him a usurper. They didn't think that he deserved the throne, and they weren't fans of how he was like so buddy-buddy with the Roman emperor. Um, and also... Uh, in his last years, he suffered some sort of an illness. We don't know what it was, but that illness uh, increased his paranoia. He was very paranoid, and that paranoia caused him to be extremely violent and to turn on people, even people close to him, on a dime. He killed one of his sons. He killed, like, hundreds of his servants. Like, he was a, he was a guy that you were on edge around at all times in his later years. He had been a brilliant king, a brilliant politician, but in his later years, he's ailing, he's nearing the end, he is panicked, uh, he's suspicious, and he's violent, right? In fact, uh, the Roman emperor Augustus is quoted in other texts as saying that it's safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. In other words, you're in a safer spot to be his livestock that is guaranteed to be butchered than to be in his household uh, because he is so like flip on a dime dangerous. That's who's in charge at the moment. So we've got Jesus is born in Bethlehem. God's incorporating a note of a story. He's giving us a setting. It's during the time of King Herod, this guy who's been amazing as a king, but he's dangerous and he's neurotic and he's impulsive. And what happens in the story? It says, Magi from the east show up in Jerusalem, so in the capital of Israel. Now, I want to set something straight about the Christmas story. Uh, a lot of times you'll hear that it's like three kings, right? Um, there's no reason historically to think they were kings. The Bible doesn't say they were kings. That was something that kind of like people added later. Um, there's also no reason to think there were three of them. In fact, that's highly unlikely that there were three of them. We kind of get that, like they bring three gifts later on in the story. We'll see that. Um, more likely, it was dozens, if not like 100, 100 plus magi from the East. Now, what is the magi, right? Uh, some translations will say wise man. They were not kings. Uh, magi will sound familiar to you, uh, to certain words we use today. Uh, magic, 
magician, magus, right? Um, magi were Zoroastrian priests. Now, Zoroastrianism was a religion in the ancient world. Uh, maybe uh, a clearer way to say what magi were is they were Persian sorcerers. They practiced magic, witchcraft, divination, leaned heavily on astrology, all of these things that the Bible has said steer clear from. It won't take you anywhere good. These guys are that to a T. They're Persian sorcerers. And the Jewish people were not fans of the Magi. They didn't like them. And so if you're reading this story with fresh eyes for the first time, and you're hearing that Jesus is born in Bethlehem in Judea, that King Herod is on the throne, and that Magi roll into town from the east, dozens if not hundreds of Magi just show up in the capital of Israel, what you're probably going to assume they're there for is to do some sort of harm to Jesus, right? Like you read the story and you're like, oh, the Magi are rolling into town. They're probably here to kill Jesus or to curse Jesus or to like cause some dissent, right? Like the people did not like the Magi at all. They weren't welcomed in this story. They didn't belong in this story, right? They were sorcerers. They weren't from God's people. So these Magi roll into town um, after Jesus is born and they get to work saying what they're there for. And here's what they say in verse two. It says, the Magi rolled into town from the east and they asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we came to worship him. First of all, that's not what you would expect the Magi to say, but there's a couple things going on in here. So the Magi roll in in large number, in noticeable number to the capital of Israel into Jerusalem in a way that like everybody in Jerusalem is like, did you, have you heard the news? The Magi just rolled into town. There's a ton of them and they're asking around about the king of the Jews. Now here's the problem. Um, there already is a king of Israel and he wasn't just born and he didn't just have a kid, right? So immediately there's a threat to Herod's rule that enters the chat right? All of these magi, again, sorcerers from a different country, from a different religion, who don't have a good reputation in Israel, show up in town and they're like, where's your king? We saw the star. We're here to follow him, to worship him, to bow down to him. Now, here's, the, here's what we need to pause and acknowledge. It's a very odd thing um, for a star and for magi to be at the center of the Christmas story, to, at the center of the birth of Christ. And um, if you guys know ripples, right? Like you drop something in water and like things ripple out from it, right? Or like, have you ever seen Jurassic Park and it's like the T-Rex stomps and you see the ripples in the cup? It's always good. Um, the thing that drops in the water that causes those ripples is like the epicenter, right? If you, you like track earthquakes, it's like the epicenter of the earthquake is like the impact point and then everything comes out from it, right? Uh, so if, if the Bible, the story of God, the story of his people, the story of earth, the story of the cosmos, the universe has an epicenter. Very clearly, it's Jesus. He is this seismic figure, uh, this like inciting event in the middle of humanity that has ripple effects out. And so like, if you're like, I don't, I've never like read the Bible before, or I'm kind of new to trying to understand it. Here's what you, here's like a, a kind of overview is that if Jesus is the epicenter, everything ripples out from him. So everything prior to Jesus is kind of rippling out from him, pointing towards him, right? You can read all of the old Testament and 
all throughout it. It's amazing what's in there, pointing to Jesus, to Jesus coming. And everything after the, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus is pointing back to Jesus. He is this seismic figure in the history of the world, the most significant one, right? And so at the epicenter of the story of God and his people, it's very strange that he would bring in priests, sorcerers from a different nation, and that he would bring them into the story with a star. Here's why. Because the Magi, like I said, uh, were sorcerers. They practiced magic, spells, um, and astrology, right? Now, to, I'm sorry to burst your bubble if you're in the room and you're like, I love my horoscope. Um, the, the Bible is not keen on astrology. Uh, it's going to tell us, stay away from it. Like, that's not for it. And so it's weird. It should sound some alarms um, that the Magi are drawn into this story by following a star, right? That should make us go, what? What's going on? And now here's what I can tell you. The appearance of the star is not the Bible saying like, great green light astrology from here on out, um, we can seek God in the stars. It's not what it's saying. But God draws them into the story with a star, right? They say, we saw his star when it rose and we followed it, we've come to worship. So what does that tell us? Why in the world would God draw magi into the story of Jesus and use a star to do it, to draw them in with their astrology? The Bible's not endorsing, it's not condoning any form of astrology, of witchcraft, any of that. But here's what it does tell us. See, God's always using every part of scripture deliberately. Every part of his story is calculated and on purpose. And here's what it reveals about the heart of God to us, that God chose magi and led them with a star. It's that God knows how to meet the Magi where they're at and speak to them in their own language. He speaks their language to them. It's where they're looking. All of their focus is on these, this religion that they've been brought up in, on these spells and the stars and all of that. And God says, I know how to speak your language. I make, I make all the stars. So I'm going to put a star into the story. So they're looking at their star charts. They're trying to discern and divine what's coming up. And suddenly a star appears that's not supposed to be there. And they're confused and they're curious. And so they follow it, right? And it leads them to Jerusalem. See, God draws them into his story by meeting them where they are and speaking to them in terms they can understand. He speaks to them in their own language. And I want to say to you, like, if you're in the room and you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, I would wager that you're here because God has done the same thing to you. Yeah. That he has met you where you are and that he's spoken to you. He's invited you into his story in terms you can understand, right? It wasn't, nobody like theologyed you into the kingdom of God right? He spoke to you in your own language and invited you in. God's revealing that about himself in this story, right? God meets us in our story. He speaks to us in our language. He reveals himself to us so that we can understand, and then he invites us into his story. And that's what God's doing with the Magi, right? He draws these people who have no business being in this story. They don't belong in this story, they're sorcerers from another country, from another religion. They don't belong in this story. But God says, I want them. And so I'm going to meet them where they are. I'm going to speak to them in their own language. And I'm going to invite them in. And so he does. And so dozens, if not hundreds, of magi who are like, there was a star that wasn't supposed to be there. So we followed it, looking for the Messiah. Is he here? 
roll into Jerusalem and make a scene. And so you can imagine people are like, what's going on? Why are all the magi here? Here's what happens. It says in verse three, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. As you can imagine, right? Here's a guy who's really suspicious, who's really power hungry, uh, who's really prone towards violence and irrational thinking. And suddenly all of these sorcerers roll into town. They're like, we followed the star to find the king of the Jews who was just born, where is he? Herod is not feeling too good about this. This is a challenge to his power, a challenge to his authority. So it tells us when, he, when Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Again, the nation of Israel did not like sorcerers from Persia. They thought that they were wicked. They thought that they were demonic. They thought that they were uh, obstructing their religious practices. They thought at, at best that they were in the way and at worst that they were evil. They didn't want them. They were like, you don't belong in this story. So what's going on? Why are you here? It says that Herod is disturbed and Jerusalem with him. They didn't want them there. So it says in verse four, when he, called to, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers. So in, in other words, he hears what the Magi are saying, people from another religion, from another place. He's hearing all this stuff. He's disturbed. It doesn't sound good to him. So he's like, okay, let's get with all of our priests, with all of our experts of the law and see what's going on. What, like, is there any truth to what the Magi are saying? So it says, when he'd called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Like, powwow, what do we know? What do the texts say, the, the ancient prophecies? And they tell him what we already know in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. It says this in verse six, and this is a prophecy from hundreds of years before. It says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. He says, you, Bethlehem, are by no means the least. Again, remember, he's playing a note. Nobody from nowhere, a nothing town that's not of concern to anybody. God's saying, that's my heart. I want the nobodies from nowhere. I want the people who don't belong in this story, right? That's where I'm gonna enter the story. In Bethlehem. And so you've got uh, the, the Magi who show up and they've had this experience, right? They've had this supernatural experience that's led them here. They're saying, we know that there's a Messiah, that he was born here. What's going on? And you've got the Magi's experience and then it turns out that it's consistent with the truth of God's word, right? Their experience and God's word collide and they confirm each other, right? The Messiah's been born, this is great news for everybody, but Herod doesn't read it as great news. So it says this in verse seven, it says, then Herod called the Magi secretly. Again, the people aren't fans of the Magi and Herod's smart enough to know that he doesn't want the people seeing that he's meeting with the Magi. So he calls them in secretly to be on a fact-finding mission and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He's like, tell me everything, give me all the details. And the more that he hears, the more he's starting to sweat like, oh no. This is the Messiah. This is the ultimate challenge to my power. So it says, so he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I can go worship. In other words, Herod lied, right? You know where this is going. You don't even need to have read the story before to know where this is going. Herod is threatened. He's violent. He's dangerous. He sends the Magi. and He's like, come back and tell me when you find him. Herod's going to kill this kid. 
And here's the thing, Herod knows he's the Messiah. Remember, the Magi's experience and the truth of God's word collided and confirmed it. The Messiah is born. Herod doesn't care. He wants him dead. So he sends them. It says this in verse nine. It says, after they'd heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. In other words, it it appears again and it guides them all the way to where they find Jesus. It says it appeared ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw that the child was with his mother, Mary. And what did they do? The sorcerers from another land who don't belong in this story. They come and they see Jesus with Mary and it tells us they bowed down and they worship him. The Magi, these people who don't belong in this story are among the first people to bend the knee to Christ. Among the first believers in the world are these magi. They come and they worship him. And then it says this, once they'd bowed down and they'd worshiped him, it says, then they opened their treasures and they presented them to him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Again, the three presents that make people think three wise men. No, tons of them. And it says, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is a wild story, you guys. Absolutely wild story. So here's what we see. The Magi are looking at their star charts and God throws a star in front of them that makes no sense to them. So they investigate, they follow it. Their experience lines up with the truth of God's word. They go and they meet the king who's just been born. They have an overwhelming spiritual experience, a knowing, a truth. They bow down, they worship him. You know, the scriptures say, um, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I, I would argue some of the first followers of Jesus are these magi, magicians from a foreign land. And it says, after they had bowed down and they had worshiped, it says they opened their treasures to him, right? They come, they know, they worship, they give, but then something amazing happens. Remember, God knows how to speak to you in your own language. But after this, after they bow down and worship and open their treasures to Jesus, something changes. Notice this, right? He led them there by speaking to them in their own language. He guided them there with a star, but it switches after that. God's not talking to them in that way anymore. What does it say? It says God warned them in a dream. That's something we see a ton throughout the history of the scriptures. That's a way that God speaks to his people. Now, that, like, we could get on a sidetrack. Not every dream is God telling you something, but he does speak to his people in dreams. And so God has stopped talking to them in their language, and he's teaching them how to speak his And in that, he warns them not to go back to Herod. And so they go back to their country by another way. Incredible story. Absolutely incredible story. What do we take away from this? First of all, the Magi Magi came and they worshiped and they gave. One of the things that we talk about a lot here at Calvary is this truth that grateful people are giving people. It's just the reality. Like out of a place of gratitude, we... that gratitude has to express itself in generosity and giving, right? Grateful people are giving people, right? But here's the question. Here's the big question. 
why in the world are magi in this story, right? I've been saying this forever. Like, they don't belong in this story, right? Why are they here? What sense do we make of this? Because it's not like the Magi roll into town and they're like, here is the Messiah. Let us bring him with us to train him in the ways of the Jedi, right? Like that doesn't happen. They show up and they bow down, they worship him, they open their treasures to him, they have this profound encounter and then they go home and they never show up again in the story of Jesus, right? So they didn't have something to give to him. And in the same token, the, the gifts, right? The gifts never materialized to anything more than gifts in the story. There's never a like, oh, and the gold that came from the Magi enabled Jesus to open up a clinic to help people. Like, no, the gifts were never more than gifts. He didn't need anything from the Magi in that sense, right? And in fact, if the Magi had never rolled into town. Herod never would have known that the Messiah had been born. Jesus never would have been in danger. So it's not that. I want to suggest to you guys, the reason the Magi are in this story is for no other reason than God's love for the Magi. That's why they're in the story. These people who don't belong, who weren't invited, who weren't wanted, right? Who were from a different religion, who believed different things, had other practices. God loved them and he met them where they were. And he spoke to them in their language and he invited them in so that they could come and so that they could know him, so that they could worship, so they could give of their treasures, so they could, they could join him in what he's doing, so they could receive from him, so they could serve. The reason the Magi are in this story is for no other reason. They serve no other utility than that God loves them. And he wants them in. The people that other people would have written off that they would say, you have no business being in this story. God loves the Magi and so he invites them in. He invites them in. And the reality, guys, is that it's the same for us. I don't know, I like, I, follower of Jesus, long time. There are so many moments in my life where I've asked, what in the world am I doing in this story? I don't belong here. I don't really bring a lot to the table. I'm not impressive. God doesn't need anything from me that he doesn't already have. If anything, I'm a bad bargain. Like I mess up, um, I'm, I'm selfish, I'm wicked, I'm rebellious. Like I do all of these things. I try and I fail and I try and I fail. And what is God getting out of this equation? Why am I in this story? Maybe you feel that way. And the truth is, you're in this story for no other reason than that God loves you. He loves you. That's it. And God meets you where you are and will speak to you in a language that you can understand so that you can come, so that you can know him, so that you can worship, so that you can give, so you can join him, you can receive, you can serve, all of that. Because God loves misfits. He loves them. He loves us. He loves the people who don't measure up. He loves the people who are a messy bargain. God loves misfits. We see it over and over and over again in scripture. He loves the nobody from nowhere. He's not nearly as concerned with the people who are impressive. He wants the people who don't fit. He wants to take the outsider and draw them right into the center of it. We see it over and over and over again whether it's Persian sorcerers, whether it's prostitutes, whether it's thieves, whether it's murderers. He does this over and over and over again. And he does it in our lives, right? That's God's heart. God does it for the people on your campus that make you uncomfortable. He loves them. 
He takes outsiders and makes them insiders. He does it for the, the kid that you know who's had a drug habit since sixth grade. He loves them. He does it for the person that you know who has a reputation that they'll just sleep with anyone. He loves them. He does it for the kid that you know who's vocally atheist, just hates the concept of religion. He loves them. He invites them in, meets people where they are, speaks to them in their own language. He does it for the kids that you are afraid of, that you are uncomfortable around, the kids that you don't like, um, the people that hurt you. He loves misfits. He's after misfits. And that's a beautiful thing. That's what makes the good news good news. And we don't get to choose who God loves or who he doesn't. And so I just want to like challenge us. Like if you've got someone, maybe there's someone that you're thinking about right now that you don't like, that you wouldn't be happy if they walked through those doors next Sunday. Let that go. Because that's not God's heart. Like put, put on your critical eye with the way you've been viewing people in the world that you inhabit. Take on a fresh perspective. And here's the beautiful thing, you guys. Here's the beautiful thing. That not only do, you, do I not get to decide, do you not get to decide who God loves and invites into his story, we get to be on the journey with God inviting people into it. Yeah. To go and seek out the person that everybody writes off to seek out the person that people don't like because of their reputation, to seek out the person that people are afraid of, to seek them out and love them and invite them. That's what we're invited into. And so here's what I want to do. As, we, as I invite the band up um, to close us in worship, I want to ask a couple questions. Um, I want to put them in your mind. I want you to think through this. You know, God meets us in our context and he speaks to us in our language. That's a amazing generosity that he does. Here's the first question I want you to consider uh, as we go to a time of worship. And, and if you're a praying person, maybe be so bold as to just say like, God, help me think through these questions. The first question is this, who in my life do I know that I speak their language? Like whose language do I know how to speak? Who are the people that I uniquely just like, I get how they think I understand where they're coming from, whether we're two of the same thing or I just like have a compassion, I understand. Like, whose language do I know how to speak? How can I go to that person and speak their language to them? How can I meet them where they are and speak their language? That's the first question. The second one is this, and this is a little more challenging. Whose language do I need to learn how to speak? Like, who are the people that I've just, like, written off, uh, maybe that I don't like, maybe they have a reputation, maybe they offended me, right? Who do I need to develop a loving curiosity about again? Like, who do I need to learn their heart and take a curiosity about? Who do I need to build a bridge with rather than sharpen my knives for? Whose language do I need to learn? And the third and final question I want you to ask yourself is, who do I need to invite? Who do I need to invite into this whole story that we're a part of? Now, you'll see on the screen behind me, Christmas Blitz. And, and I just want, I want to be clear. The Christmas Blitz isn't the only thing to invite somebody into. But it is the next thing. Um, 
And here's, let me let me say this about the Christmas blitz. First of all, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be fun. All that. It like it is not a bait and switch. We're not like bring somebody and then we'll close the doors and be like, psych! It's a worship night. And we're gonna preach at you for five hours. That is not what the Christmas blitz is. It's just not. Um, it is an event that is. Uh, it's. It's about like fun and chaos and hype and Christmas and there'll be field competitions and there'll be like dance parties and what, all the stuff. Um, so we're not like, you have our word, we're not trying to like bait and switch anybody with the Christmas blitz. Um, that's not what we're doing. But we're also not gonna shy away from who we are and what we're about and why we're here. And we're, we'll, we'll take five minutes in the night and say, hey, here's what we believe. We're not trying to be pushy with this, but we do want you to know that we believe that there's good news. And if you wanna know more, if you're curious, come back on a Sunday, come to winter camp with us, right? Check it out. We wanna invite people, but I wanna challenge you to not just think whose language do I already know how to speak or not just think, okay, whose language do I need to start learning, but to be brave and invite somebody into this story, right? Like we, you came in, on your seat is one of these cards. It's a QR code. Here's the newsflash. This card's not for you. If you need the information, scan that QR code. Give it to someone else. Be brave, invite someone. Say, hey, do you wanna come with me to this? It's gonna be fun. Um, you can check out what my community is about. You can check out who this God is if you're curious. Pray a bold prayer. Ask God who to invite. It might surprise you. It might be someone you're like, them? Really? Be brave. Um, so here's what I want to invite you to do. Um, during this time of worship as we close, uh, if there's a name on your heart, on your mind, uh, I want to challenge you to go to the prayer wall. Um, Write that name down on a piece of paper, fold it. It's not, again, we're not gonna publish these names. We're not gonna show anybody. They're not going on social media. Um, this is something that we as leaders take and we pray over. And that, that's it. Never heard from again. I wanna challenge you. If you've got someone in your, in your head, in your heart, write their name down. Say a pray for, prayer for them. Put it on the prayer wall. There's a stack of these at the back. Grab one, grab 10. Invite somebody. God loves us, guys but he also loves the people that you wrote off a long time ago. Take another look. Let me pray for us. God, you're good. Um, thank you for your heart to take outsiders and bring them right into the middle uh, and to do it in love. Um, God, thank you uh, that through your finished work on the cross, God, that you don't measure us based on our performance. Um, that's a beautiful thing. Um, if you did, we would all be disqualified from your love, but you don't disqualify us from your love, God. You invite us, you meet us where we are and you speak our language to us and you invite us in in love. And so God, um, we just pray that you would keep doing what you promised to do years ago, that you would build your church, that you would keep extending the invitation, that you would draw people into this beautiful story and that the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That's a promise written in stone, written in scripture. Um, so God, would you keep doing that work? Lord, we love you. We thank you. Uh, we give you this time in worship and we ask that you would meet us here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We really hope it blessed you. You can connect with us on social media at CalvaryHSM805. God bless.